Hey, hey, welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Workus, and today I sit down with Rob Brayman, who's the principal and managing member at Cogent Analytics. I brought Rob on the call today to talk about what are some of the typical problems that small business owners and entrepreneurs face and how to get through those. So those typical challenges, those typical problems, where they get stuck, and how we can break through them. Rob's background, obviously, with Cogent Analytics, and we get into this on the call, is evaluating and improving small businesses. And these small businesses can be as small as one person to, you know, dozens to upwards of a hundred plus people on a team. And so Rob comes at this fairly, I think, systematically and process oriented. So it'll be a somewhat analytical and kind of academic call in, in that context, uh, some of the things we break down and some of the terms we use. But I still thought it was useful and it's kind of the the headspace that I'm in right now in terms of my business and think about how do we improve some of those bottom line metrics and numbers. Uh, something that, you know, when I was just bootstrapping and shooting from the hip to launch things, I wasn't necessarily thinking about. So you'll see how that kind of plays out in today's conversation, some of my commentary on that with Rob. But suffice it to say, I think it provided an interesting look into the world of KPIs, metrics, what you're tracking and how to pay yourself first. I think that's the core message from today's call, my big takeaway. So Without further ado, let's get to today's conversation. Okay, so Rob, let's kick things off. I want to go into your backstory a little bit, how you got started, your military experience. Uh, we'll see where we go there and what we can kind of find out about you there and what you did in SOCOM and uh, how it led to what you're doing today with, uh, you know, in, in working in analytics in particular, I find is fascinating. So let's, let's trace the story back a little bit. Where does it begin? So when I was a when I was a kid, my dad passed away when I was a pretty young guy. I was a baby of four, and I was fifteen when uh, he went on to the pearly gates, and uh, it was a life changing event. You know, I, um, I I tried college for a semester and realized very quickly that at that point in my life, you know, college wasn't for me. I was doing really really well in school, but I did not want to be part of that environment, and I joined the military. So, you know, I ended up in, I ended up having the privilege of serving with 1st Battalion, 5th Special Forces Group. Um, you know, I married young, you know, I was, uh, I was one of those guys that had the, the early military wife, uh, which good, bad, or indifferent did not, did not end well either from my military experience or that marriage because she wasn't altogether thrilled about the amount of time I was, I was out. Right. And in that community, it's different when when you go out, there's there's not a lot of a whole lot of correspondence back and forth with with your respective spouse, regardless to say it was the foundation, uh, I think, of of my approach to life, service to others, service to community. Um, you know, I don't believe we're red and blue. I always say we're red, white and blue. What drives us to be American? It's the same reason why I represent small business owners, Tom. It's uh you know, to me, it's service to community, it's service to entrepreneurs, and I'm a diehard believer that in our country today, entrepreneurship is the backbone and spirit of who we are as Americans. So you said fifth group, right? I was, yeah. So yeah, I was, I was in fifth group as a group support battalion um, officer, not, not tapped. So uh, I was, were you, were, were you stationed then in um, Fort Campbell? Bragg, Bragg and then Campbell. I was actually with 1st Battalion 5th. In, I always, I always screw this up. It was either 85 or 86. We yeah. packed up the mill vans. So I remember showing up at Campbell. We had 30 day, 30 day leave. And we showed up in Campbell, um, after that 30 day leave and unpacked, unpacked bags. You know, that's when they co-located with task force 160th. Yep. So yeah, I'm, that guess that makes me old, fat and gray, but 
Yeah. Yeah. That's old school. No, that's cool. I was there for, yeah, I was there for like my last year did, uh, I was the company commander for the headquarters of the, uh, uh, group support battalion. And then also the S3 before that. So it was cool because, you know, I got only got it from the periphery, but you guys do some crazy stuff. Um, uh, I'm kind of curious, what was your, what was your focus in, in, in SOCOM? What was your specialty or, 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 um, I guess designation? You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I've been, people drag me down this conversation. Um, and, and let me tell you philosophically what I think. Okay. Uh, if you go back circa 1984 through 1990, um, we were in a peacetime military. And, um, you know, when I think about what guys have gone through for the last 19 years, and we're celebrating um, 18 years of our country being attacked, I'm always, you know, I always say we miss the dance, right? Yes, we served, but we miss the dance. I've got more respect for a guy like you who you know, had boots on the ground in Afghanistan, probably had boots on the ground in Iraq, if I'm a guessing man. Um, Iraq, Iraq, just for me, I missed, I missed my Afghanistan time, which, so, is, which is okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it always makes me, it always makes me um, uncomfortable when I get in discussions like this, because we've got a whole generation of guys that have um, been downrange and I am, uh, always respectful, I think is the best way to put it. Uh, you know, it seems self-ingrandizing when I go down this conversation, it's just not how I'm built. So I hope you expect, I hope you respect my non-answer, but, um, that's one I'm going to give you today. No, there you go. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. So let's, let's zoom in then. So you did that. Did you do, when did you get out then? Like, did you do your, you know, 20 90. years? Um, and did you, did you serve like a full 20 years or, or did you get, no, 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 no. Yeah. I, okay. I literally, I was five and a half years uh, okay. service. And as I said, at the beginning, I was married to a young lady that, um, got married really young yeah. and, and got divorced pretty young. Um, yeah. I have been blessed to be married to the same woman now for 24 years. Nice. We've raised two beautiful kids. I've got a daughter who's going through engineering. I've got a son at VMI also pursuing a military career. Yep. Um, and I, I, let me touch back on that non-answer before, you know, I am, um, you know, it's funny. I, a lot of people want to talk to me about, about my time with fifth group. And the best answer I could give you is I had the privilege of serving with the most amazing group of operators, I think on the planet. Um, I got a lot of exposure to a lot of things, but nothing what soldiers are going through today. Um, I participate with a group, a group called objective zero. Mm -hmm. If you want to talk about objective zero and you want to talk about military suicide, you want to talk about veterans who take their own life and, 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 you know, committing cogent analytics to the odds objective, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can definitely get me to talk to you about an hour about that. I'm just always funny Tommy, when I, uh, when I think about, uh, that self aggrandizing, um, effort that, that seems to people want to take me down. Yeah, no, I, no worries. I understand that. No. Uh, again, like I said, this is, I'm just asking the questions you get to, you get to answer however you'd like, and we'll just roll with it. And so that's kind of when I come back to it, you got out, you didn't, you know, you, you went and then did you go straight into business? Like straight into like, like yeah. Okay. And so, so tell me a little bit about the Genesis then like cogent analytics. Like how do we get there? All right. So that's a, okay. I'll take you through the story. I, I got out of the military and I got a job. Mm -hmm. uh, to begin with. And very quickly in that organization, I went from 
you know, basic participant to leadership to regional leadership. And my vice president at the time uh, wanted to go open his own thing. So my first endeavor to entrepreneurship, I was probably 26, 27 years old. And I was working for another company that a guy left and brought me with him. And I think I got two or 3% equity in my first company at 26 or 27. By the time I was 28, 29, I had found my own partner um, and built three different organizations together. We sold one of those organizations in 02. And by 03, I liquidated him and moved to North Carolina. I then got a job. It was funny. I went to the bank. We had funding for me to open and being a 100% shareholder. Uh, that was my leap to going down the road of doing a fourth, right? I had some economic windfalls through the, through the exit of, of the two companies that I built with my partner, plus the sale of the third. And got the loan from the bank and woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and told my wife that uh, I wanted to go interview for some jobs. So she asked me if I was obviously crazy. And I said, well, honey, I've been an entrepreneur. You've been an entrepreneur's wife pretty much since the get-go. And um, I, I interviewed for a bunch of jobs. And I was I always say I was silly enough to accept the one as a business analyst working for another consultancy. I worked there for 11 years. Um, I was their top one, two, three analyst in a very short order of time. I was 18 months. Um before I made number one analyst, I think they probably at the time had 180 or 190 analysts that they that they had in the role. Very, very, very large firm representing small business owners. And, you know, I would say the biggest lessons I learned working for them was all the things that I didn't want to do. And it just solidified my belief structure to how we represent small business owners. So I left twice. The first time I left, I was contemplating purchasing another firm. I recused myself from that transaction within 28 days and uh, took seven months off of work, coached football, coached basketball, had a blast with my kids. And then um, they sucked me back in. They paid me a ridiculous amount of money to come back under very specific terms that were never adhered to. So two and a half years later, I, I, that was the birth of coaching analytics. I said, if I was going to represent the American small business owner, I was going to do it in my vision we were going to do you know, a life cycle relationship, which is predicated on client retention. It's all about being able to work through problems with clients and then stop the digression that typically happens post-fix. You know, it's interesting how entrepreneurs are. They're very accustomed to doing their business the way they learned how to do their business. A lot of small business owners don't come from a business background. They come from a trade background. So they're honorable, they believe in what they do, they love their employees, they take care of their community. You know, we're talking about the spirit of the entrepreneur that I find so pure, right? It takes a lot of guts to wake up in the morning and put go all in with your chips, right? To have that conversation with your wife saying, honey, we're going to open a business. And, you know, what we try to do is we try to talk about the business of the business because a lot of small business owners underperform. You know, they should be making 10% profit and they're making three or four. You know, they have some cash flow at the end of the year, but it's not enough liquidity to take a distribution after tax consequence. You know, I can tell this story all day long with you, and I'm sure you're going to ask me a bunch of questions about this topic. But if I can set the tone for really talking to your, your listeners 
it's it's really about small business and how do you optimize your business. Profit has to be engineered, and there are four key areas in every business. It doesn't matter whether you're a two hundred thousand uh, top line revenue business or you're a two billion dollar business. The four pillars are are consistent regardless of the size of your company. And really doing them well or poorly is what contributes or detracts from profit. And that's what contributes or detracts from liquidity or, or, or the ability to take a distribution at the end of the year. Let's break them down. What are the four? So we break our profit platform. And if, if your listeners went to our website, you would see it illustrated. It is business development, which consists of sales and marketing. So we focus on that structure. Organizational engineering, which is how we hire, how we retain, how we compensate, how we, right? Process engineering, which is really the operational side of the business. How do we effectively get efficiency through what we do? And then lastly is measurement, financial and operational. So you're talking about financial statements and balance sheets, but then you're also talking about inline measurement, key performance indicators that drive operational or human behavior. Um, those measurements are critical to be able to contribute to that profitability. And that's what, if you look at the illustration around the box that is not on our website, is a great big circle that says strategic planning. So if we're having this conversation, it's you strategically plan your business for all elements. You focus on the four key pillars, business development, people, operations, and measurement. And that is what contributes and detracts from profitability. I hope I didn't go too fast. No, that's, that's fine. So I'm going to ask some questions and they might be out of order and we might go around no, in a, for, a few circles right to get there. But um, just the, the thing that comes to my mind is give me some context. Who are, what are the types of businesses you typically work with when we're talking small businesses? Are we talking like mom and pop shop? Are we talking like local retail? Are we talking somebody trying to start like a yoga studio or something like that? Like give us some, maybe some context of the typical businesses that I know you guys worked with quite a, a range, but maybe what are some of those that, that stand out to you so people can, um, can picture this as we kind of talk through some of these examples. So we segregate them into five prime verticals. Um, uh, construction probably represents 35 or 40% of our overall market share. Uh, so it's construction, manufacturing, distribution, transportation, and technology. Um, we do not do retail unless it's substantive enough and it's multi-unit retail. We Got it. do have a second division to Cogent Analytics called VCS or Virtual Consulting Services. Okay. And in VCS, we do a lot of coaching. We use this medium with online coaching, going through financials, working through the basics with the small business owner, developing a marketing strategy developing a business development strategy, developing how do we build a team, things like that for our smaller clients. Our larger clients, um, we don't do medical, we don't do restaurant. We do have some retail at the top end of our peak. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's a pretty good segregation. If I say yeah. construction to you, and I want to define this, yeah, construction is defined in many ways. The way we define it is Starting at the top, you could have general construction, construction management. Then you have the trade groups. Yep. And you have architectural engineering. So all of that falls under the construction vertical for us. And each one of the other five are equally as broad. So 
Got it. And, and would you say, so then in this capacity, are they typically, um, cause you did mention small businesses. I don't know if that is your core focus, but, um, all to mid market. Yep. All privately held equity. Yep. Are you typically like with the companies you work with then again, I know there's obviously a range here, but like, what are, what are the typical like sizes that they come to you guys or where you feel like you're really able to like, um, affect things because, you know, I, I, I say that from the context of like people who are listening, I think there's some people who are listening who are, um, you know, online marketers, uh, have agencies, they, they work in smaller groups, smaller teams kind of thing. So I'm just trying to think, get a sense of the scale and like where it's like a team like yours can come in and actually help, um, with operations and things like that. Like what's that size level that's optimal. So the discovery process, which is the analytic portion to define what the problems are really work at either division of the firm, either what we consider to be traditional $2 million, 10 employees and up. Um, below that $2 million less than 10 employees is typically part of our VCS group because you have a different set of dynamics with the smaller group of clientele who are working on different issues than traditionally are the more mature businesses. So, and I have some clients, don't get me wrong, that are 10 years in business that are 1.78 employees that we go through some very specific initiatives with them as it relates to the profit platform. And it's equally as beneficial to the, the half a million dollar client going through that discovery process and understanding where the gaps in the organization or their structure is. It's more dynamic as we get into our larger grouping of clients. Our, that is typically a boots on the ground discovery for two to five days, depending on the nature and size of the organization but it's a very holistic approach of all of the facets of the business so that we have an understanding of where the shortfalls or impingements are in the group. Um, I don't want your listeners to walk away from this discussion thinking, oh, well, that's too big for me because it really isn't. We, we believe that, you know, you have to start somewhere and, you know, we have a bunch of clients that are 300, 400, 500,000 a year annualized revenue that we make some profound impacts. You know, we've been able to take a number of clients from that, that three to 500,000 range up to the million and a half, two million and beyond. And, and that's the big victory, right? When you, can, when you can realize that dream with the client because it's their hard work and effort that gets them there. And sometimes they get trapped in the forest. So, you know, you being a military guy, you've heard the expression, you can't see the forest through the trees. That's really easy to, to, to occur for a small business owner. Cause most often they're wearing all the hats when they first start out. Yeah. That, yeah, that makes sense. No, it's, it's interesting. It just gives some context because um, I guess like the next place my, my mind goes is I wonder like, do you typically see the same mistakes repeated again? I feel like there's always patterns in life um, patterns of success and failure and things like that. And, and sometimes like, you know, I've, I've done quite a bit of coaching consulting advisory type stuff. And, and I, I start to pick up patterns like in, in the digital marketing space, for instance, like, typical places where I see where people are making mistakes or something like that, or, uh, you know, to me obvious now at this time, but it's like, I'm used to it. I've, I've, I've trained, you know, enough where I'm like, yeah, I, I, it's not hard for me to spot the errors because of just experience. Right. And I'm guessing that's what you guys bring to the table. So I'm curious, like, what are the big things that people like typically get wrong in that range? Like if they're doing say 2 million a year, what are they, what are they getting wrong? Do you typically see? So, and I want to be very careful, well, let me give you an anecdotal or, or sure. you know, tell it, tell it through a story. Um, I've been doing this for near two decades in my life. So if you say, Rob, what do you see that is happening in almost every client you represent? 
my response to you is going to be, we don't do the strategic planning necessary. We don't do any budgeting. We don't do any break-even. We don't do any control of cash flow. Everything is immediate. I've got money in the bank. Where's my checkbook? Um, organizational engineering is not typically a term that people are familiar with. You know, people hire out of expediency as opposed to hiring what they really need. Um, and then they misposition people based on like as opposed to aptitude. And, and you couple that with, you know, you know, it creates cultural shortfalls. You creates how do you remunerate people based on performance? You notice how I'm working my way around the platform, right? The operational issues that are occurring in the field usually are based on um, less than stellar management structure. Um, clear expectations, clear measurement, clear intentional obligation to performing a task to standard. Um, and that's why the measurements become so critical, right? Small business owners, most often, they'll, they'll buy their QuickBooks, and it's like a big reveal on the 10th or 15th of every month. And it's like, did I make or lose money? And I've had clients that, if, if I could send one resounding message, financial management to business, is absolutely critical. That's why eight out of 10 businesses fail is bad financial or fiscal responsibility, making investments that are not tied to a very clear plan or a budget. So we get over the tip of our skis and we run out of cash. And, and I see that over and over and over again. And most of that, you know, we do thousands of discoveries with small business owners. And, you know, when you, when you get to a situation where you start talking about financial information, and they haven't looked at their financials in two months or three months or four months. Oh, my accountant does my books. And when was the last current book you have? Well, it's almost October 1st, and I'm looking at financials from March. I'll give you a metaphor. I don't know how an NFL football coach could manage the season if he was just figuring out whether he won or lost game two if it's already game 10 of the season. Um, so that there's a consistent theme into why the platform was built that is drawn from my personal experience of representing small business owners. Those four quadrants or four pillars in the profit platform is where all of the common challenges occur for the clients that we represent. And, and in, that is a broad basis across industry, broad basis across structure, broad basis across size. Those are the areas of efficiency that we think that we do best at is identification in that discovery process. So it empowers people to put their arms back around those challenges and, and come up with a plan to fix it. So it sounds like, like if I were to kind of summarize one piece of that in terms of like something practical, somebody could take away from that. Cause when I hear that, I'm like, I do think to myself, like, what do I have in place there? Am I doing the right thing? So are we, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, it's good. And, and one of the things that comes to mind is like, I, I do feel grateful in that regard. Like we're good on the numbers. Like we're always aware of them. So I feel like I'm already doing that, but I could see myself, if I didn't have the right people in place that I wouldn't be getting the information I need financially, like how we're doing. So it sounds like one place to start is just um, looking at the financials and, and thinking about how to set up something consistently where you're looking at those. What do you recommend at a minimum as like a, you know, a business owner? Is it monthly? Or are you on the, on the pulse, like daily kind of thing? What's and I know that could be, there's a lot of variance here. No, it's a great question. Operational KPIs are measurements of expectation to be able to produce your product profitably, right? What, what KPIs do is they drive human behavior. You're setting expectations. 
But if I dial the question back to, well, you know, you're asking the question, the thing that was resonating most in my head was, what's the plan? You know, a, a goal is just a wish without a plan attached to it. You know, the actionables that it is required to know and get everybody on the same sheet of music, knowing where we're going, knowing what our culture is, knowing what our mission is, is what allowed people in an organization to excel. And I see breakdown in communication. I see breakdown in expectation. You know, sometimes we are so busy running the day to day that the message of where we're going gets lost with employees and, and they know what their job is, but are they performing to a measurement standard that they can take ownership of? And employees want to excel. In my experience, out of the near two decades I've been doing this, people come to work at a company because they want to be part of something. They want to excel in that role. And that's not everybody. We all terminate employees. But by and large, the ones we keep, you have to communicate effectively. You have to have the measurement standards in place or substandard will become the standard. You know, in absence of standard, substandard becomes the standard. Talk to me about like, like, I guess, defining those KPIs. Like, what do you, when you, when you look into those, like what, where, where do you start when you're looking at that? Say, and again, like, you know, maybe pick an area. I'm always fascinated by things like, um, you know, bottom line revenue, uh, or, or bottom line profit generators will say. So, so KPIs on the sales or marketing front, for instance, maybe you can take us through some stuff that you guys would typically look at or how you might deconstruct that. So the reason why we broke it up into the respective pillars is because measurement in each one of those areas, either business development and almost every company is built the same way. You have your business development arm of the company, then you have your operational arm of the company, and then you have your SGNA or administrative arm of the company. Um, each one of those areas of the company are critical. One is not more important than the other. You have to be able to generate revenue in a good business. But if you generate revenue that is not based on a profit strategy, what it typically ends up is residual. If you develop a good business development strategy that has profit built into it, but your operation arm of the company is substandard or underperforming to the way you bid it, then you will not make money. So, you know, the way you ask the question, it forces me into a position to say, well, all things are important. It's a pie, not not an individual thing. And each one of those departments have to have respective measurements to performance for each department or division of your company to be communicating effectively. That, that's what gets everybody on the same page. I hope that was a, I hope that was an answer that was. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, it was, I'm, I'm curious about that first piece that you mentioned. It was the first, you kind of divided, broke it up into two pieces, two elements. The first element. one was like, it was like business, um, Business development. Okay. So on business development, then it, like if you're, you're zooming in, you said like, cause if the business development is off, even if you're making like mm -hmm. top line revenue, then top line sales, it can just, absolutely money can just disappear. Right. Or it could just be, it could just be burning up and you're not even noticing it. So talk me through that. Like, how do you, how do you look through that? Like if I'm listening to this, how do I think about this and see if maybe there's some things I can even see myself so first to see if there's anything wrong. I think I'll talk about a product sale instead of a service sale, just for the purpose of the illustration. A lot of times what happens if a company doesn't know where their break-even is, they don't know where their SG&A costs are, they don't know where their semi-variable expense is, they're selling to a gross margin. And a gross margin is revenue less direct cost equals a gross margin, and then you have to take out everything else. If you're really going to build to break-even, the break-even itself has to be divided into what you are selling, to what market you're selling, 
and by percentage of what product you're selling into those markets because you have different profit contribution by the different products you sell. Okay? It's referred to as gross margin contribution. And I really don't want to geek out too much because I think I'll probably lose your listeners. But what I see most is people misprice their product or not have a, a measurement for an, a sales rep for number of touches, number of touches turn into number of quotes, number of quotes turn into number of wins, you know, bid to award ratio. Um, if you're product selling, if you're a manufacturer, you always have to put a quote that says, I can build it for X. If if your sales team doesn't have an accurate representation of what it's actually costing to produce that product and deliver that product, what'll happen is they'll sell a price or take a discount. And I see this with a lot of small business owners because they're so focused on that top line revenue that they're really not building a financial model for pricing purposes that engineers that profit. Now, I know that's a really long answer and it was kind of geeky when I gave it to you. But it's the analytics piece to understand your product, understand how much your gross margin contribution is, and knowing where your pricing structure should be as it contributes to that break-even, because that helps you control operations, it helps you control your overhead, and it allows you to attack the market. And a lot of people say to me, well, Rob, I can't, I can't just price my product up. And my argument is, you're right, you can't. Only the, the market is going to determine what fair market value of your product and goods and services are. So if you can only get a 30% gross margin and you're selling $2 million worth of goods, that's 600 grand. Well, it's costing you 700,000 to run your business. 2 million is not your number. Now, conversely, if you sell $3 million worth of business at that same GP, you've got 900,000. It's costing you 700,000. You're making 200,000 net profit, right? But let me throw a quirk at you. If you can be competitive in a market, if you know where your product and services are going to be priced and you know what your competition is pricing and you know what the market will bear, a good break-even strategy allows you to strategically discount in some areas of your business to increase your award rate that contributes more to your bottom line, which is almost to the last business that we represent a rare exercise that they go through. About 3 to 5% of our clients will build an accurate break-even and work through the gross margin contribution so that there's a real strategy to making money. So I don't want your listeners to hear, oh, well, if I build a break-even, I've got to price up. That is not the purpose of a, a break-even and strategic pricing model. Yeah. because Well, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm translating this in my head to the, the, the digital world, the digital space that I know. And so I think to myself, like, yeah, it's like, you know, if I can get a lead for X, and I can, I can sell, you know, sell Y and then I can upsell Z. Um, then it's okay if I lose money on the front end. I mean, it's the same, same stuff, right? A little bit like break even. Well, there's, yeah. I, I would never advocate you losing money on a, I mean, there are lost leaders out in the world, but not in the digital market space. Mm. I, I would, I would say to you, if you break, if you price to break even and your intention is to strategically pick up your ancillaries and your ancillaries are your largest gross margin con contributors. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I have personally, in all of the businesses I've owned, run, and help other people run, never been a huge advocate of of pricing into a market at a loss. No, no, I wouldn't. Because then you got to sell. Yeah, you got to sell way more just to make up the losses you gave away. So even if you had a an increased margin on your ancillaries, half of it you're giving away about what you gave away up front. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I wonder actually how many people are inadvertently doing that, um, especially in the online space. When I come to think about it, oh, it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of. I mean, it's yeah, because it's, it's like it's easy to it's in in some ways it's like easy to do. It's easy to make that mistake because you're like well digital and you think like you know so you you don't like I personally I don't even like a lot of the terms you're using I don't even think about but or, exactly that way um, I think about certain things that you're describing and, and we come to certain numbers in certain ways that I think are getting to the core of what you're describing but it's it's fascinating to me it's like it's just a reminder that I need to probably I should I should take some more advanced learning in the topic of like business management and stuff like that and see like what are the things I'm missing just because like yeah I've never gone the academic route for me everything's been bootstrapped just like you know figuring things out I haven't the experience of working with a lot of businesses and I pick up on patterns pretty, pretty well, but you know, there's, there's something about the academic nature of what you're describing that kind of starts to make things kind of crystal clear. So I don't think like this stuff is not that useful for somebody who's like totally bootstrapping, getting started necessarily. Like it would be over my head, you know, five years ago, six years ago or something like that. But now it's like, I think for anybody who's starting to bring in that consistent income, it's a real thing to look at, look at these actual costs and come to the hard number. I'm really curious about diving into that too, like the actual expense. So, so that's our discovery. Yeah. Like what you just touched on right there, and it's amazing. Um, and I apologize for interrupting. I got excited there for a second, but you you touched on something that's near and dear to my heart. When we do that discovery process with our clients, and depending on size, it's typically between eight hundred and ten thousand dollars, right? Really large organizations that keep us for a week, that's a different number. But most of our discoveries are twelve to fifteen hundred, maybe eighteen hundred. And we're boots on the ground for two to three days. And when you talk about academia, um, I would have to in full disclosure share with you that I have perfected my craft over the last thirty plus years of owning, running and representing others. Um and, and when you distill it down to its core in a discovery process, what you're really doing is having a, a, a very tangible discussion working through together with a professional that cares about you learning. Um, you'd be shocked at how fast people pick up the gaps in their own business when, they're, when, it, when it pays the bills at the end of the month, when it's putting their kids through college, when it's going to be part of their retirement strategy. Um, I, I've told clients for years and my favorite clients have, you know, 10th and 11th grade educations. You know, I've got a client today that is running a $20 million business. has got a 10th grade education. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Right? And, and he's like a sponge. You give him the tools, you give her his life is phenomenal. Give her the tools. And, and it just, it's like watching a flower grow. So, you know, I, I always stay away from words like academia because most small business owners don't come from an academic background. Most small business owners approach life in a very tangible way. I build a product. I want to do it right. I want to do it honorably. I want to be able to make good sales and make money. And it's the, it's the, that what I say common sense knowledge that, that is given a word like academia that almost, almost sends the message that somebody's got to go back and get a four-year degree. And that is, couldn't be farther no. from the truth, right? No, exactly. Business owners are gut. Business owners are heart. Business owners, when it's important to them, it's important to their employees, it's important to their family. And they're, they're, they're vested 100% in the success of their company. You can take somebody like that. You'd, you'd be shocked at what we're able to accomplish in three days, let alone when we take them on and, and build, a, 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 build their company with them. Um, so sorry for interjecting. You touched on one of those, one of those spots for me that I'm really passionate about. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, I take the way the word academia. 
Yeah, no, yeah. However you want to describe it. Yeah, for me, when I think about that, I'm, I'm thinking about the academic, not academia, but academic nature of um, the precision of specific numbers to know. And so like, oh, right. whereas like my experience is like shooting from the hip, you know, cowboy style and it works, it's fine. Like it gets, gets me where I need to go and lots of people can get where they need to go doing that. I think there's something to it, like at a certain level, I don't know, you kind of have to like actually do some of these, like probably like pretty practical, uh, you know, number, like, like, so, um, analysis, like deep analysis of the numbers. Cause again, I, I in the context, I work with a lot of bootstrappers. A lot of, I work with a lot of startups too. People who are growing, growing, growing fast. Yeah. And it's, it's, you got to figure out the business model. Like we're still figuring out the business model while we make lots of money, but like, it's hard to then come to certain numbers because it's a lot of times we're in markets or industries or the businesses that we're in are constantly evolving and changing because we're trying to grow them. And so it's, it's, that's one of the things I've always found is it's really difficult to do. Um, and so I mostly kind of ignored it on the back end and kind of just looking at what are the critical numbers, right? But I can see where that could, that could lead to, uh, that would be bad if I didn't have a good pulse on them or if I wasn't looking at the right numbers or if I got lazy about it or something like that, you know, because it's just like, you know, got to make the sales, got to, you know, do this, got to do that. You know, there's a million things to do as a business owner. So let me give you the act. Let me give you an anecdotal. Mm -hmm. I had a client, um, well, we're currently representing this client and we have, he has been in our, our client. Um, it's our client retention model called life cycle. So when we started with this client a year ago, they had had their business from, for literally bootstrap startup guy in a truck. And over the first six years, they grew it up to about three and a half million dollars, but they hit that plateau. Every business goes through plateaus, but they'd hit that plateau and the business owner would have never allowed a group like Cogent Analytics, right? Really smart guy. felt like he had his arms around the world. The, so he finally broke down and brought us in. And for years, he had been producing a profit, goes into his account, account says, hey, you're doing just fine. You made money. Now, he was really making about 4.2, 4.3% profit on that business that he had. I mean, you got to take all the risk. You've signed on for the debt. You put your house up. All of those things are the life of a small business owner. So this year, in the 12 months, he is now averaging 14% profit. He has grown his business 18%. He's made more in one year than he did for all of the years put together subsequent to that. And all it really took was touching on each one of the areas that we talked about early in this discussion and really fine tuning the approach to the business because he had never approached, like you just said, Rob, I've got the top line numbers. I think I know and we're making money. But you said the magical word to me that made me tell this story, which is sometimes business owners convince themselves that good enough is good enough. And nobody wakes up in the morning trying to be average. I've never met an entrepreneur that woke up and decided that average was good enough. People want to be the best of the best. They don't want to be the best of the worst or the worst of the best. They want to be the best of the best, especially when it's their business, their life, their family, their kids. So... When you think about making money, most people treat it like a residual. Revenue less my cost equals what I get to keep. I just approach it. I think it's a flawed concept. I think the way it's really supposed to be is revenue less profit equals what I get to spend. And if you don't manage the details in how that occurs, because every time you take a loss as a business owner, the first dollar you give away is yours. 
every single time the first mistake you make gives away your your profit, your revenue from a personal income standpoint and the value of your equity, that retirement strategy, because most people get an IRA or 401k, your real equity of your company is your retirement strategy. Every heart, every effort you make that you're investing in your business in, in the spirit of your employees and the spirit of running a good business, at the end of the day, you've got something that you're building equity value in. And every time you underperform, you're giving away your money first. So if I can you know, ring the bell with some of your listeners today, remember that one statement. When we underperform, we underperform to our own pockets first. Because when you get to net break even, you've paid all your bills, but you didn't get paid. <laughs> and what happens to a lot of clients is they'll make enough money if you're making three or 4% profit, you've got just about enough to pay your taxes, pay for some marginal growth, pay for some debt to the bank, and then there's nothing left over because you've paid all of your other three partners, right? Even if you're a sole owner, your other three partners are bank, government, and your growth. I look at it from the way of managing liquidity and managing distributions when you start your year, not figuring out what you got residual left over. It's a fundamental shift yeah. in the way you think. So it's, it's kind of like, a, it reminds me of like the profit first approach, right? Like uh, Mike, is it Mike, Mike, Mike Michalowicz or something? I have the book. I just read it. Um, but it's, it's, it's similar to that, right? It, broadly speaking, like the idea, I guess, coming at it like fundamentally is like, how do we say like, how do we define for profit first? Well, cle clever name or not a clever name. It's very clear. Um, but like set that first and then everything builds out from there. I mean, there's a whole, he has a whole process that he goes through with it. Maybe there's, I'm sure there's other processes out there. Um, it's pretty consistent. Kind of, I mean, yeah. he's a good speaker, good writer, pretty mm -hmm. consistent message throughout. Mm -hmm. I think we have a little bit different approach to it, but it's not, right. it's not grandiose. Right. And, and, but I like it. It's, it's interesting. Cause it's like, when I read it, I realized, okay, yeah, it's like, I've, been, I've always kind of, I've always naturally done that. I don't, but it's, it's interesting because I do know a lot of people who don't and I see it and I, I, I can see falling into that trap. Like, I just think it would be horrible if you like work and you're not getting paid for the work you do. You know, yeah, you're sure. not making money from it. It's just, but there's so many entrepreneurs all the time. Yeah, that do that. And it's, it's awful. It's terrible. It's like, I, so. I always caution people that when you talk about profit, people hear greed and it's, it's just not true, right? Make no, it's profit just, it's, it's, is it's, your it's oxygen. That's right. It's your oxygen in your business. That's right. That's it. That's how I look at it. Yeah. So no, I don't think about it greedy or anything like that. It's like, yeah, man, if you can, I mean, that's cool if you can make enough to buy the yacht, but it's like, no, for me, it's like profit. So you can support your family. It's for your, you know, so you can pay for your employees. So you, you can continue to, your, to grow. I mean, give to your church. You to, I mean, tons of things. You can, I mean, there's all kinds of, you can't do it with yeah. profit. <laughs> no. And it quickly dissolves if you don't have any. It's also interesting to see how people can go from profit to no profitability quickly too. Um, you know, or, 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 or tank. And it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm not a, I, I'm a very optimistic and, and uh, hopeful person. And so I, I think everything's going to continue to be well, wonderful, hopefully moving forward, but man, we're, you know, there's always gonna be a pullback. There's always going to be something that happens. And it's like, you got to make hay while the sun shines, right? If we're going to be talking about, you know, expressions that, that, that makes sense. And that's why it's important to get that margin up you know, you're talking about 4% to 15%, like that's huge and doing it now versus later, right? Business is a science, right? That's usually what gets lost on most entrepreneurs for all the other reasons that we talked about. You know, people like me, 
right? Who are committed to the business of the business. We all use, you know, I'm always careful to get things that distill down to buzzwords. That's why I stopped you on greed. Doing this for 20 years, I hear hear a lot of small business owners retort back to me about, well, I I don't want to be greedy. And I, I, so I stopped you. I said, well, it really isn't about greedy. And you said it for me. You said it's the oxygen in the room. And you're a hundred percent correct. And I, I definitely wasn't saying greedy. So I don't know if you. No, if I, I said that because I caught oh, yeah. it. Yeah. That oh, was yeah. Me. I, got, I was like, like oh, I, don't even, yeah. greed. <laughs> I don't, I don't even think that way. Like I, it's just so beyond me. Like if anybody feels that way, they're in the wrong spot and they're in the wrong place. They're listening to the wrong podcast. That's like, right. There you uh, go. It's, you know, it's just, so it's, we're so far beyond there. Um, yeah, I'm with you hundred percent, but no, this has been very fascinating. I think there's uh, like, obviously a lot of things we could probably, you know, nosedive into, but I think it's a good place to wrap up because I feel like this is enough where somebody's going to hopefully take this back and be like, okay, I got to reevaluate and, and look at some things. Um, I guess there's going to be a lot of questions that are left unanswered, which is always okay. And that means like, where do people go next? So Rob, uh, you know, take the floor. Where can people reach out to find you, connect with you? Are there any other resources that you would recommend for people, um, for entrepreneurs, business owners who are, you know, looking at, you know, figuring out how they can be more profitable. What, what, what do you recommend? Yeah. So we ourselves, we've had a, um, you know, a knowledge first marketing strategy. So we really focus on business intelligence. If you go to www.coachinganalytics.com, we have white papers, case studies, blogs, articles that we've written in national publications. You know, we, we publish every single week a massive amount of content about things to, for the small business owner to think about. So www.coachinganalytics.com, go to the resource tab, you know, do your investigation. You're not obligated to reach out to us, but I will tell you that the discovery process is a powerful, powerful, powerful tool. I think knowledge, knowing where you're at, even when you believe you know you where you're at, the discovery process is going to uncover some thought-provoking areas for you to think about. So you can go to the website or you can call one eight three three for my profit. That is the number for my profit. One eight three three for my profit. And you know, reach out to us, even if you're just in the investigatory stage. If you want to sign up for our newsletter, we put business intelligence out every month, you know, we want to give those resources to the American Small Business Center. That's that's why we I built the place. That's what we fight for every day. And um, it's a joy. I appreciate you having me on the show today. Yeah, no, it's been awesome, Rob. This has been really great. I encourage people to go check it out. And yeah, the discovery, discovery process seems really fascinating to me and something that I think a lot of people listening to this could be potentially interested in. You guys work with people uh, virtually as well on that? We do. Yeah. Okay, cool. On the smaller side, and I want to be clear about that, it, when you get into an organization that's 2 million and 10 employees and up, it really requires an analyst to meet with your people, do an operational review, do a financial performance review, do an organization review, do an op, you with me? Each one of those pillars are most effectively served working with you at your place of business. You don't have to come to us, we come to you. Um, smaller clients because of time constraints and a number of other things that happen in very small companies. We've figured out a way to do that virtually with those clients. Perfect. That's awesome. Well, hopefully that's, that's enough for people to get started, I think. So I encourage people to li- who are listening, go check out Rob's stuff, go to cogenanalytics.com. Um, I'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. So just go to tomworkus.com slash podcast. You can check out the most recent episode. And uh, this has been a pleasure, Rob. Thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. No, sir. It's, it's truly my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show today. Are you trying to grow your online business, but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? 
Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're you something like that, right? You love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time and 12 and 14 hour days routinely after going full time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone. I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, e-courses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, etc., I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it. I kept doing it. And eventually replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it. Because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, 
oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but, you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort. Thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is give back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond, and the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing. Or Carrie, who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Carrie and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, or profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.